Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I will get to some of the emails. Uh, for the last two hours, we've been going over the uh, the Charlotte City Council's uh, recriminalization of certain ordinances, uh, specifically uh, related to, you know, uncivil behavior, things that you should not be doing in a public setting, pooping, peeing, and taking advantage of yourself, that, and drinking, right, that kind of thing. Uh, so I'll, I will get to the um, uh, I'll get to the emails on that, and I have more audio on it. But WBTV had a story called "Year of the Renter," and this does tie in. This does tie into the whole uh, homelessness issue and the oh, you're criminalizing poverty and this sort of thing. So here's BTV's story: Nearly half of people who live in Charlotte pay rent which has been rising since the pandemic. I'm not sure if that's the number of people paying rent or if it's the rent that is rising. I'm assuming it's the rent. Um, However, things are starting to change. Right before the pandemic, in January of 2020, the median rent for an apartment in Charlotte, according to rent.com, was $1,550 a month. $1,550 a month. Okay? Three years later, that number was up to 1955. And then it even topped out over the summer at 1986. Right? So just under two grand. That's the median rent. Based on those numbers, a person's income would have uh, would have needed to go up by $5,200 during that span just to keep up. And nobody's salary went up. Their pay nobody's income went up 5 grand in 3 years just to keep up with the rent. This is why when people are talking about, oh, the inflation is slowing and all that. No, the inflation already skyrocketed and is baked into the cost of everything now. It's not going back down. It's just not growing as fast as it was three years ago, two years ago. And the growth that we saw two and three years ago remains in the cost of everything. Experts say that the key... To lower rent is, do you want to take a guess? Do you want to know what it is? The key to lowering the rent is more housing. I'm sorry, was that pretty obvious? Yeah, I guess, yeah, that was, I mean, that was obvious to me. I've known that for years. I don't, yeah, I don't know why a lot of people don't understand that if you constrain the supply Right, the price goes up because the demand is not being met. With apartments seemingly going up left and right now, rent in Charlotte has been coming down in the past few months. Rent.com said that median rent uh, in December was eighteen thirty nine. That is a seven percent drop since the July peak. So it went from nineteen eighty six down to eighteen thirty nine. So it's dropped by almost a hundred bucks. More than a hundred bucks. 
150 a month. Kate Terhune of Rent.com said that the pandemic created a lot of demand and higher construction prices. This year, more apartments will be on the market, driving prices back down and giving people more options. Quote, I think 2024 is the year of the renter, she said. In a related story, out of BizNow, headline, Texas apartment markets could be courting disaster as oversupply fuels rent declines. Wait a minute. Why is that courting disaster? Rent decline. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Texas apartment markets could be courting disaster as oversupply fuels rent declines. That's not disaster. I mean, not for people, not for the renters. I mean, I guess it could be for like some of the apartment builders, right? So here's the story out of Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, Pricing power across apartment markets in Texas has slipped just as thousands of new units are coming online, sparking concerns that conditions are ripe for an onslaught of distress. Markets with the biggest development pipelines are seeing sharper rent growth declines. This is these people that write economic stories. I cannot stand them sometimes. Sharper rent growth declines. Sharper rent growth declines. Growth declines. What? For the love of me, is a growth decline. I'm I'm still not clear. Is this like the inflation thing that the growth hasn't been growing? So, or is this like negative growth? I thought they would have just used negative growth, but a growth decline means it's not growing as as it once was. Is that the idea? Anyway, they say less supply is underway. Um, Twenty five U.S. markets. Uh, this study by Avison Young uh, said several Lone Star metros are in the path of what could be an oncoming storm. The impact of oversupply is most acute in Austin. About 40,000 units are right now under construction in the capital city there, roughly 14% of existing inventory. Meanwhile, rent growth has declined more than 5% year over year. Rent growth. So is that the price of rent? Rent growth, so the price of rent has not grown at the rate it was growing at. Is that the idea? See what I mean? This Austin's supply problem is temporary. It's supply, so they're calling this a supply problem to have to have enough supply to meet demand to the point where people are able, the the renters are able to get the rents to come down just a little bit, five <laughs> percent, right, or to not grow as fast as it was growing. This is now a supply problem <laughs> in, in biznow.com. Dallas-Fort Worth is also at risk from oversupply. Rent growth has fallen more than 1%. San Antonio, rent growth fallen 2%. Unprecedented levels of in-migration to Texas and a trend of corporate relocations to Texas caused demand for apartments to spike in the early years of the pandemic, pushing rent growth into double digits. Developers rushed to cash in on the nation's most promising real estate investment, fueled by cheap debt and a growing pool of renters who were unable to afford a home. But since then, competition has increased as new supply floods the market and the cost of capital has gone up. 
Owners who finance their properties using floating rate debt are facing the difficult prospect of refinancing, leaving some with few options but to sell at a discount or hand the keys back to the bank. And so they're predicting that in 2024 this year, you're going to see a lot of these multifamily ownership groups, these apartment uh, corporations, they're going to start selling some of their properties. They say uh, everybody's like keeping an eye on the office sector, you know, office space, lots of available office space. Um, but they say the, there are early signs of distress in the multifamily space and they've gone almost unnoticed. I don't know. I kind of feel like that's, so, I feel like it's all right. Uh, I think I'm, I'm okay with the rents coming down a little bit. I'm all right with that. Um, I don't know who could have predicted such a thing, but it might've been me, but, um, if you build more apartments, the rents come down. For everybody that's been like, we need more affordable housing. We need more affordable housing. And people like me have said, okay, well, then build more housing. That's the way you make the housing more affordable. Because then the, you know, people start building housing in in all the different price points in order to satisfy the demand. But when you make it really hard to build houses, then, uh, the supply gets artificially restrained and uh, constrained, and so then the the supply doesn't keep pace with the demand. Also, by the way, not for nothing, when you have a whole bunch of people coming in and they require uh, coming into the country or your state or your city, uh, and they are interested in you know not being homeless, uh, that puts an additional pressure on the uh, on the supply. Why? Because it increased demand. Exactly. Demand is you. Demand is me. Demand is us wanting a house. We demand a house and or an apartment. And so if there aren't enough supply of houses and apartments, then we will pay more for it. It drives the price up. This is very rudimentary, you know, economics 101. But apparently, apparently city planners and, and elected leaders don't know this. And so they put all sorts of rules and regulations in place that make it harder to build. And when you do that, uh, you then get less of the thing. And in this case, it's housing. By the way, um, I hope you folks in South Charlotte like triplexes because uh, you're you're going to get them. You're getting lots of them. They are coming. Yeah, the city of Charlotte did away with the single-family zoning classification as sort of the buy right land use automatically assumed, you know? Um, and so now they can stuff uh, three units on every uh, acre or so or three units on every plot. And so there's no, uh, not every acre, but every, uh, every uh, chunk of land. And so now they're just uh, uh, they're You know, they were doing the duets. Don't call them duplexes. They were duets, which were very, very, very expensive very large, like 3,000 square foot duplexes that shared a wall. And they're like, you know, two stories, maybe even three stories, garages, very nice in in South Charlotte where they had larger plots of land. Uh, So a lot of those homes are getting bulldozed. Uh, You know, people coming in, buying the homes for $800,000, $900,000, tearing them down, putting in the triplexes so you can sell each triplex for a million. So you're tripling, yeah, your your investment by ju- 
by building, by buying the house that's there, tearing it down. You bought the house for 800, 900K, you got to tear it down. The Charlotte Ledger has a big write up on this. Uh, if you are interested, the, uh, it's a Substack subscription. Uh, I, I subscribe. It's, a, it's very good. They do a lot of development stuff and school-related uh, topics. This is from National Review a couple of weeks ago. Americans, with little help from government, are reinventing themselves and boosting their prospects by settling in less expensive, less regulated regions where rents and house prices are more affordable. <gasps> no! Much of this is taking place in red states, quote-unquote, leading some to link the movement to a conservative ideological agenda. But this is not primarily a political movement. It's a reflection of a largely apolitical, grassroots, market-driven trend. Today's American geographic trends favor the South, as well as the Intermountain West, never heard of it, and the Desert Southwest. In the past decade, five southern states, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, and South Carolina, along with Arizona, have exceeded the growth in all of uh, exceeded the growth in all of the other forty-four states and District of Columbia. The Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, Texas, and Arizona have had more growth than all the other states. Uh, this pattern has accelerated since twenty twenty, since the pandemic. Southern states have picked up one point seven million people while the other three census regions all had net domestic migration losses. Last year, southern states accounted for 87% of all U.S. population growth. Over the last few decades, the settled areas of the Northeast and the West Coast have become ever more expensive, ever more regulated. That drives both businesses and residents away. Recently, The net losers, including the green utopia of Oregon, as well as California, blessed by nature, but also now the most heavily regulated state and among the highest taxed, those running California managed to create a situation where housing prices soared while the state lost population. (laughs) That is saying something. That is a true testament to Gavin Newsom's ability to run a state into the ground. Let's give him the keys to the country. What do you say? Uh, Let's get back to some of the emails here uh, from uh, the discussion about the Charlotte City Council recriminalizing six ordinances, um, trespassing in a motor vehicle, vehicle, uh, taking advantage of yourself in public, urination and defecation uh, in public, behavior in public parks, like like sleeping in the public parks and such, Uh, uh, soliciting from the street or median strip, which could include panhandling, stuff like that. A lot of people angry last night at the city council meeting. I've got some more audio. I actually have the city council members and their comments here. I'll play. Actually, yeah, let me let me run through some emails. This is from Byron, uh, who says, Pete, we can create jobs, build wooden outhouses and place them in Uptown. They can even have half moon cut out in the door, just like the olden days. Create a new government department in the city of Charlotte to service the outhouses. Offer the homeless a paying job with the city of Charlotte outhouse department. Solves a lot of problems. I like it. These are the kinds of solutions that we are all about here on the Pete Callender Show. Solving the world's problems between noon and three every single day. It's our jam. This is what we do. I was thinking also, you know all those cats buses we've got or the uh, the light rail trains that aren't running? Mm-hmm. Porta Johns. And if they do get running, 
even better. They just drive around, service different areas, get on the bus, do your business, get off the bus. It would help with ridership. You know, you could even do it with all of the buses. I mean, except for like the most popular bus lines, like the number nine line or whatever. You could, like all the other ones, you could do like half the bus be just like shower and toilet facilities and just roll it, roll them around, you know? Um, Tim says, uh, God bless you, Pete, for saving the rest of us from having to listen to all of that poop. Uh, I think I have lost 15 IQ points after hearing all of that. One could have played a drinking game, taking a shot after each mention of victims, unneighbors, uh, or unhoused neighbors, civil rights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I would have been bombed after 20 minutes. Uh, John says, uh, last night's debate just reemphasizes how much we miss the courage and leadership of Braxton Winston. Charlotte is rudderless now. <laughs> uh, let me see here. This is from uh, Dean Pete. Those people don't condemn the urinating and pooping on the street or sidewalk because it's not being done on their street or sidewalk in front of them. Maybe the police can move the homeless into their neighborhood. Well, I will say a lot of the people that were speaking at the meeting last night were people that do work in this area, right? Like they they run the 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 charities, the nonprofits, and all of that. So they they are doing this work. All right, let's get to some of the audio clips from the city council members. Here is. Uh, Councilwoman Lawana Mayfield. Whatever we do, honestly, it's not going to be enough. But here's the reality. We don't have the money. We're, gonna, we're working with the county, as was mentioned. We're going to get what they have in Portland, which is stabilized facilities. The Portland Loop. Well, why can't there be 25? Those things are extremely expensive. So we're starting with two. Two is better than what we have right now today. We had two Porter Johns that were instituted today. Why not 15? Two is more than we had last week. We got to work with our partners. The more funding we need, let's have a real conversation about we're going to have to talk about tax increases. That's a different conversation. No, no, we don't get to talk back. So that is a different conversation. You hear what, uh, people in the audience? They were, people in the audience were so disrespectful, right? To everybody that had a different opinion than they did, if you expressed any kind of alternate view, and even this was like, we're going to have to talk about raising taxes. I don't even know what they were squawking about. I think they would be all in on that. But then again, they're nonprofits. So they're not even paying taxes on that stuff. But these are all conversations that we have to take into consideration as your elected body. I will. I cannot support us moving forward with the amended version of my colleague, nor can I support the initial full language because I cannot in good conscience based on everything I have seen throughout my entirety, but much less the last six months to leave it to the discretion of CMPD. Right. So I don't want CMPD coming in and enforcing any of these laws because they're going to kill people. That's basically what she said. Then there was Tijuana Brown, who uh, I believe like her uh, campaign was essentially her life story narrative, which was she went to prison. She went to jail. She's an ex-con or something. And so she has all this experience being on the other side of the law. I respect everybody and I do things differently, which is why I acknowledge the beautiful children that get this, that, that are outside and you don't want to see uh, people playing with their intimate parts. Nobody wants to see that. I have a grandchild. But did you ever think about what if it were you? What would you do? Okay, okay, I know what I would not do. I know what I would not do. How about that? 
Can I answer that question? I would not uh, do any of the manhandling of the intimate parts in a public place. That's what I would not do. Okay? I don't understand, like, this. What's pretty amazing is, like, everybody who wanted to talk about the the pooping and the peeing, and that was, they restricted all of their comments to that, to those two things. And they just ignored, like, the drinking in public, the taking advantage of yourself in public, right? Indecent exposure, like, all of that stuff. Like, those were not things that they wanted to discuss in their defense of their position that you're criminalizing poverty. You know, so you're saying that, what, if I am... If I'm homeless, if I'm in poverty, then that means I am going to take advantage of myself in public. I'm just going to just just drop my pants and start doing stuff to myself. Like that's that's what what comes with the territory. Really? Do you guys hear yourselves? <laughs> do you do you hear what you're saying? All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out again i say i don't know if i want to live in a city where i can't poop on the street really it's my right <laughs> last night the charlotte city council having this uh, discussion this debate they listened for over an hour from activists who were like you're criminalizing homelessness tark bakari city councilman one of the two republicans and ed driggs the other republican Got a couple of highlights of their comments. Here first is Tark Bakari. I agree with something Councilwoman Mayfield said a minute ago. We need a different conversation. I mean, I, I think there's probably no single statement that could summarize where we are better than that. We need a different conversation. Tonight, folks have been asking us to solve the root causes. We know better than anyone else around this dais. We've done that. It's not working. We've we put record-breaking money record-breaking dollars into the housing trust, into services, uh, and, and there's a laundry list staff can talk to us about, about everything we've been doing there, and things are worse today than they were two, three, four, and five years ago. So we need a different conversation, that's for sure. I think a false choice is being presented to the community and to all of us in this conversation. Correct. A choice between criminalizing homelessness or accepting that defecation and urination outside our homes and the eyesight of our children is an either uh, or statement. We have to figure out which side of that argument we're on. And I refuse to accept those are the only options before us. Exactly right. Here is Councilman Ed Driggs. A lot of what has been said suggests that the behaviors that are prohibited by these ordinances are synonymous with poverty or homelessness. Mm -hmm. And the fact is there are a lot of people who are homeless who are not in any way responsible for this. And there are people who aren't homeless who are. We're talking about the behaviors. 
And so uh, I think it's actually unfair to homeless people who, who do not commit these behaviors That's to right. be included in terms of who is being victimized by the idea of criminalizing this. We are talking about behaviors. The other thing I, I think is, uh, is sort of remarkable is it sounds as if everybody thinks that we are having to choose enforcement versus engagement and that in fact we aren't engaged that we are sitting here contemplating enforcement and we have no care at all and we don't engage. And the truth is the engagement of the city is and has been huge. Tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, programs, ARPA funds. We are racking our brains trying to figure out how to solve this, what to do about it, how, how to protect people who don't want to be confronted by certain things, how to be kind and supportive to those who are genuinely helpless as opposed to badly behaved. We're trying to figure it out, and we have been for a long time. It's a tough problem. There aren't any easy answers, and those of you who work on this, I think, have seen that. You've seen difficult cases that don't respond to your efforts. So we haven't figured it out. It doesn't mean that we don't care. Enforcement's not going to fix this. I don't think anybody imagines it does. But I do think that enforcement sends a message to a large segment of the community that is not in this room tonight that we don't think it's okay. It's not okay if you have to kind of deal with seeing something out there. If we aren't successful with everything else we do and it comes down to somebody masturbating in the street, that is not going to be tolerated. There has to be something we can do about that. And that's all it is. I, I wish we weren't kind of confronting each other like this because we're all on the same team. Yeah, we're all on the same team. The idea that these people in the audience are casting the Charlotte City Council and the county commissioners, may, most all of whom are Democrats, remember, right? That they're being cast as the enemy here. That, oh, you're just wanting to criminalize homelessness and you don't care. Really? You're, you're saying that... After all of the years, look, I was a reporter in Charlotte for WBT for almost 10 years in the early 2000s. And I remember covering the county commission meetings with the, with the WOP, the, the Wipeout Poverty Plan, the WAP. And guess what happened after the five-year plan didn't wipe out the poverty? They re-upped it. I believe it's probably still operable, Right. They have been throwing taxpayer money at these issues for decades, decades. The pleas of more resources has not gone unheard. It has not been ignored. It, in fact, has been answered with tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in, quote, investment. But there's, and I mentioned this earlier, there's another component here, which is enabling. There is a line that you get to at some point in these types of services where the help becomes enabling, where the safety net becomes a hammock. And I can't tell you where that line is. I dare say nobody can figure that out, really, because everybody is different. But there was a guy who came to a county commission meeting 20 years ago. He was homeless, and he told the story at a budget hearing. He said he came here from Cincinnati or Cleveland, I forget. He said, I came here because I had heard that the uh, the benefits, uh, the social services, the programs were good and the weather was nice. And so I came here and I discovered that what I had heard was true. And so I 
told my brother, who lives in back home in Cincinnati or Cleveland, and I got him to come down too. At some point, these services become a magnet. And if you're telling people that they're going to have to put up with the kinds of behavior while paying for these services, they will eventually lead and then leave. And then you don't have any money to pay for the services. All right, stick around. Brett Winterbill's up next. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.